1: the deciding point. Our Crack Rackets weekly breakdown of the biggest storylines happening across the tennis world. It just keeps happening, folks. Another women's singles competition filled with upsets. This time, it's the 2021 Olympics. Of course, on the men's singles side, it looks like Novak Djokovic is poised to capture another significant title this season. Would be the first Olympic gold medal of his career. Of course, we also saw first tour level titles for Cam Nori and Danielle Collins as they continue their successful 2021 campaigns the next gen ATP 2.0 generation making their move on the ATP tour this past week as well I want to talk about all of that and so much more on today's show with that in mind Westoff, roll those credits let's talk about all the action I think it's safe to say things have been relatively calm through the first few days of action at the 2021 Olympics in men's singles. You start by looking at the top of the draw, the biggest storyline coming into the event. Could top seed Novak Djokovic, who has already won the first three majors of the 2021 schedule, capture that elusive title in his otherwise unmatched mantle? Could he win the gold medal in men's singles thus far? He's certainly the prohibitive favorite to to do so straight set wins in his first two matches. You look at his section of the draw, the top eight seed. He was slated to face Andre Rublev, already knocked out of the event. Was a fantastic win for Kei Nishikori in straight sets in that first round. Nishikori subsequently reaching the round of 16 in singles, still alive. Wouldn't it be fantastic, even though there's no home crowd to see Kei Nishikori, with all of the injuries he's gone through, compete in the quarterfinals of the. Olympics against Novak Djokovic I think that's a storyline all of us can root for, of course, as you move through the rest of the draw. Alex Virev, as expected, draw was soft, even with the seeds slated in his section, but Hubi Hurkacz, who is the other top uh, eight seed, he's been knocked out, loses a thrilling three-set match in the second round to Liam Brody. Of course, Brody, one of the best stories in men's tennis right now, the 27-year-old up to a new uh, career high inside the top 150. It was number 137 back in April, currently at number 143, but reached three of the four challenger finals of his career in the last 52 weeks. Obviously, was an alternate getting into this event and has made the most of that opportunity. He'll have the chance to compete in the round of 16 with Great Britain on his chest. He faces Jeremy Chardy, by the way, who knocked out Aslan Karatsev early in this event. That's a winnable match. Certainly, you look at some of the other round of 16 opponents of all of the possible opponents to face. Shardy is on the short list of ones you would probably select, so it'll be interesting to see what Brody can do. But of course, is Virev going to take on Nikolas Vili in a match none of us want to end up watching? But certainly, you look at that section, Virov, the favorite to emerge to the semifinals, emerge to the medal rounds of this event. Again, you continue to move through the draw. Certainly, if you're Stefano Tsitsipas, you're feeling a little bit better than you were coming out of Wimbledon. Gets some revenge, knocks off Francis Tiafo. He's in into the round of 16, of course. This is an interesting section of the draw as you look for Stefano Tsitsipas. He's got the always dangerous lefty, particularly on a hard court. In Ugo Humbert, we saw Humbert have success on the grass court season, winning the HALA 500, had a ton of success on the indoor courts at the end of 2020, winning a couple of titles. But you know certainly outdoor, these conditions... It'll be interesting. Lefty serve into the one-handed backhand of Paz. That's a match to watch between two of the top 16 seeds. So they hold seeds, as does the other half of this section, Hatchinov versus Schwartzman. Aren't those two guys you can just always pencil into the third, fourth round of a major event like a Masters 1000, like a Grand Slam, certainly like the Olympics here. That's the most fun uh, section remaining in the draw, of course, as you look on the bottom of the draw. Daniil Medvedev cruising through his second round, match, got tested in round one against Bublik, ultimately able to advance four and six. He's now got Fabio Fonini, you look above that, Pablo Carreno-Busta, going to be taking on Dom Kofer. And certainly if you followed the tour week in, week out, like we do here at Crack Rackets, the former number one singles player in the country for Tulane, has been a top 50 guy all season long. We've seen him make multiple quarterfinals at the ATP level. We saw him play Roger Federer so close at the French Open. He's flashed this level before. Certainly he was is the beneficiary of an early upset in his section, number nine seed Felix Ogier-Ali Asim, knocked out first round by Mark Purcell, but, you know, Kofor is always a guy who's capitalized on those opportunities in the last 52 weeks. He does so again, round of 16. Again, all you can ask you is to put yourself in that quarterfinal contention, get yourself a shot at the medal rounds. Dom Kofor has positioned himself well to do just that, but again, looking up and down the draw, Yes. Medvedev hasn't dropped the set, Zverev hasn't dropped the set, Tsitsipas has dropped one set, but certainly it's Novak Djokovic's tournament to lose, we all know that, and you know, he wins a gold medal this year the pressure emerging surrounding that 2021 U.S. Open, the storylines that will be written, because it's not just going to be us in the tennis intelligentsia, us on tennis Twitter, us tennis fans, us tennis fanatics more than anything else who are following the tour week in, week out. There's going to be casual press, you know, the Good Morning America appearances, the ESPNs, the CNNs, every outlet will be chasing, uh, covering his pursuit of history to win the calendar Grand Slam, as well as the Golden Slam, you throw the golden Medal in there as well to do it all at age 34. This guy is an absolute maniac. He's been one of the stars of the Olympics. So many other athletes from across the globe asking Novak Djokovic for a photo. You can understand why. He is a celebrity. He is the best athlete at, at his sport. Perhaps Novak Djokovic is better at his sport compared to the field right now than anyone else out there in the world. I would say that. I would say he's one. You know, certainly Giannis in that conversation, you want to say Lewis Hamilton, fine with all the titles. He's won in Formula One, but Max Verstappen would be like, well, what about this season's results? And, you know, football is such a complicated game. I think right now Novak Djokovic is better at tennis compared to the field than anyone else is at their sport. In anything else, that's why you see so many of these Olympic athletes gravitating towards him. We are watching the pursuit of history. Certainly going to be fun to enjoy. If you're here in the United States like I am, it's worth staying up late because if he's able to capture it... Boy, is this fall going to be fun? That's your 2021 Olympic men's singles update. Djokovic in a position to succeed, but again, top four seeds all alive. This is something we've seen a lot of—that clear top four: Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini would be in the mix. Not playing this event; those have been the guys this season. They're the guys at this event, shaping up to be a really fun home stretch of this men's singles competition. Just stop if you've heard me say it before, but upsets, upsets, upsets. That's the story of another women's singles event. This time, it's the 2020 Olympics. You look thus far for the first time since tennis returned to Olympic competition in 1988. The top three seeds of the women's singles event all knocked out before the round of 16. You look number one seed, Ashley Barty, coming off of a Wimbledon title. Just never looked comfortable in her first round loss to Sarah Ceribes tormo Now, of course, as I know so many of you Crack Rackets fans do, if you followed the tour closely week in, week out, day in, day out, you know, Saribas-Tormo has been one of the breakout stars of this 2021 season. She won the title in Guadalajara back in March and has been able to make Round of 16's quarterfinals week in, week out at WTA-level events, has established herself inside the top 50, and you got to Keep in mind she's under 25 years old. This is exactly what it looks like when a top 50 player ascends towards their prime. And does Ceribes Tormo have the big weapons, the overwhelming serve like Osaka, the overwhelming groundstroke power like a Sabalenka, the you know movement skills and the heaviness of the ball of an Iga Swiatek? No, that's not Serbets Tormo. But she is a death by a thousand paper cuts all star, a player who is not going to beat themselves physically. As impressive as any player out there on. her right now, and she made that match a track meet, and that's a credit to her to advance to round number two. Uh, That was your top seed knocked out in round one. Your other two top three seeds knocked out in round number two. For Naomi Osaka, I mean, she just ran into a buzzsaw performance from Marketa Van And Of course, you look here in Tokyo. It's safe to say now, these courts are playing slow. These balls die in early. You're seeing long, physical rallies. Of course, Van the 2019 French Open champion, not saying these hard courts are playing exactly like clay courts, but she always likes a slow court. And just, you know, Osaka did not serve her best. She did not play her best match. But that's because Van Drusseva broke her patterns with her variety, was able to incorporate the drop shots, was able to get Osaka stretched to the outer thirds, play short angles, take balls early down the line it was a really impressive match from Van Drusva. of course. We can all only imagine, can't even imagine, the pressure Osaka felt coming into this event. But again, I think this result speaks more about the level of Van Drusva play played than anything else. She knocks out Osaka, who was certainly given it a hardcourt event, one of the favorites entering these Olympics. And then, you know, for third seed at Arena Sabalenka, 7-6 in the third, she loses to Donna Vekic. 15 of the 17 losses for Sabalenka in her last 52 weeks have been three setters. It was just one of those days for Arena, and that was a really fun match. But again, speaks to the parity we see week in, week out, on the WTA Tour. Iga Swiatek knocked out of this event already. She was upset uh, in the second round as well. Uh, she, I believe, loses her match to Paula Bedosa-Jabert, who, again, has been a top 20 club player, one of only 11 players on the WTA Tour who can say that, and you know, is someone who is a top 25 player now in the ELO ratings, has established herself inside the top 35 of the WTA rankings as well, much like Saribas Tormo. She's been one of the breakthrough performers of 2021. She is clearly a player ascending towards her prime. She now is going to take on Vandrusova in the quarterfinal round. Of course, you look up and down the board, the women a little bit ahead of the men, but Anastasia Pavlchenkova, her closest set, 6-3. She advances to the quarterfinals where she's going to take on Belinda Benchich, who had one of the biggest wins of the tournament. You look for Benchich, a win over Krachikova 1-6, 6-2, 6-3. She's been a part of our lives forever. Feels like part of the ecosystem since she was 16, 17 years old. But Benchich only 24. And the 2019 US Open semifinalists, it's been up and down, 17 and 15 over her last 52. But she's capable of playing some tremendous tennis. Her aggression doesn't matter the surface or the court speech. She just plays big. She plays on her terms. When it's landing, it works. It's been working this week, that Pavlachenkova Benchich match. Super, super fun on the top of the draw. You've also got... Honestly, two of the 10 best players in my opinion in 2021 Garpin Muguruza, one of four players, top 15 in Holton Break percentage. She's taken on big hit in Elena Rabacana. That match should be super, super fun. You've also got Giorgi, the always dangerous Italian, taking on Elena Svitolina, who needed this result. And good for her to hold seed, last top four seed remaining. She's into the quarterfinals bottom half of the bottom draw. It's Van Drusova taking on Bedosa Jaber. Eight players who've never medaled in singles at the Olympics. So certainly, again, first times being the theme. We've had 12 different semifinalists through the first three Grand Slams this season. So many different players accomplishing first titles were over double digits in the number of players who have won their first WTA level title this season on the WTA Tour. We see that parody continue over here. There are some familiar faces. Again, Rabakina, Bedosa two of just six players to reach the round of 16 at both Wimbledon and the French Open I believe now they're the only two players to reach the round of 16 at all three of this events. although I suppose you throw into the miss Krejcikova made the round of 16 so she would be another player to throw on there but the point being we see that week in week out consistency translating here at this Olympic Games We see that parity Transferring over Upsets galore Really, really fun result I know we don't have The top three seeds, But we just saw Pavlochenkova compete In a French Open final We just saw Rabacina make You know, a quarterfinals Of the Slam Losing three sets In the round of 16 To Sabalenka At Wimbledon is a multi-time Slam champion We know what is Capable of And Thrusova Former Slam finalist Bedosa All these players in the mix Super, super talented So despite the the top three seeds as fun as it would have been to see Osaka compete in Tokyo for a gold medal still shaping up to be a really really fun ending to this 2020 Olympic Games in women's singles Given the collective focus on the Olympics right now, it would have been very easy for tennis fans to miss out on a couple of first-time tour-level titleists last week in our ATP and WTA tour-level events. Let's start in Los Cabos, where Cam Norrie continues to solidify his campaign as the most improved player on the ATP tour in 2021. You look for Cam Norrie. He wins his first ATP-level title in Los Cabos, does not drop a set on his way to the title, and of course there were many top 50 players this week not playing the ATP level events, choosing to go participate in the Olympics instead, but you look for Cam Nori, the fact that he didn't drop a set against guys like Elias Emer, Ernesto Escobedo, Taylor Fritz, and then Brandon Nakashima in the final, that speaks to the fact he really has separated himself, risen a tier, solidified his spot in the top 30 of the ATP rankings, perhaps even higher than that in the broader discussion about the best players right now. In men's tennis, you look at the analytics for Cam Norrie. He is up to a new career high of number 29 in the ATP rankings. That's on the back of a 47 and 22 record in his last 52 weeks. During that time, he's made eight of his 17 career ATP level quarterfinals. He's made four of his five career ATP level uh, title matches finals. Excuse me. And then, of course, he now wins his first ATP level title. You look. For Cam Norrie, he's currently top 30 in both hold and break percentage, a top 15 guy actually in break percentage, one of only 13 ATP players who ranks in the top 30 in both how frequently they're holding serve, how frequently they're breaking serve. Of course, you turn to ELO ratings, which measures who you're beating, not when and where like the rankings do. Cam Norrie right now, 12th overall in tennis abstracts, ELO ratings. You want to narrow that down to 2021 specifically results they have cam nori as the sixth best player in 2021 he's third right now in total wins you look for nori is he number six in the atp rankings no Is he closer to being a top 20 guy than he is to number 30 ranking? I do think so. I think you look at that surface versatility. He made finals on a hard court. He made a final on a grass court. He's made a final on a clay court all this season. He's now, of course, won a title. He's got the home stretch, perhaps his best surface coming up now on the North American hard courts. Of course, he's a guy who played a couple seasons of college tennis, was the number one college tennis player in the country. Very familiar with these conditions here in North America. There's a lot of opportunity here for Cam Norty, who we still have never seen rip off an ATP quarterfinal run. And for him to accumulate this many points everywhere else and you know still have opportunities to play in Indian Wells later this season, to play the U.S. Open, to play Cincinnati, play the Rogers Cup... Top 20s in the cards for Cam Norrie here. He has that sort of serious opportunity to gain those sorts of points to his resume, the level of late reflex that he really has played. Again, I would say closest to number 12 right now than to number 29, which is what his ATP ranking reflects, or number 6, which is the 2021 ELO. But Cam Nori's the real deal. And again, another data point, college tennis works, folks. Sometimes it just takes a little bit longer, but that all-around game of Nori now matched with the physicality he's able to impose on his opponents and make it clear, you know, let's make things clear. That final in Los Cabos against Nakashima became a track meet that, you know, Nori was just the more physically fit player in the match. Nakashima really couldn't hurt him. Cam Norrie has been excellent this season, and he, again, earned his first ATP-level title in Los Cabos. Everything I said about that developmental path and, you know, it takes a little bit longer for Cam Norrie. All applies to our other first-time title winner as well, Danielle Collins, another former top college player in the country. She was a two-time NCAA singles champion for the University of Virginia. Of course, she's a Grand Slam semifinalist, so I suppose her success a little bit more pronounced than Norrie's entering this past week. But you look for Danielle Collins, who of course had so many different health issues earlier this season. We're just all happy as fans to see her back on court playing well, but she's sneaky good over these last 52 weeks 26 and 12 overall she's actually a top 30 club member she's top 30 in both hold and break percentage again she's one of only 14 uh, excuse me 13 WTA players you can say that about the firepower for Danielle Collins when she's playing her best has always been evident. Her ability to swing through any court, any surface when she has time to connect with the ball cleanly. We all know what she's capable of, but she finally just looks healthy, playing freely. She was the number one seed this past week, but made the most of that seeding. She doesn't drop a set on her way to the title, and you look for her now. Two consecutive weeks, she played Budapest the week prior, lost in the semifinals to Angelina Kalanina. She then elects to play again this week. Does not drop a set en route to the title, didn't play a top 40 player, but beat everyone she was supposed to beat and beat them comfortably as well. And, you know, you look in the final, she did play a player in Elena Gabriela Russa, who had won a WTA title a few weeks earlier on the clay courts and certainly has the sort of weapons we've seen Collins struggle with in the past. But what was so impressive to me was how freely Collins was moving. And again, she finally looked healthy. She was able to play a little bit of defense, but after going down an early break in the final start getting more aggressive, taking returns early, just you know, landing more first serves, keeping Rusa on her back foot. You look at Danielle Collins right now, ranked number 35 in the WTA rankings, but you look in terms of her overall ELO rating, Collins right now currently at 34, 2021 specific, she's at 22. I mean, she is a top 35 player. You could say that about almost everyone right now in the top 50 of the WTA rankings. She doesn't have the consistency week in, week out right now or at the big events required to be a top 20 player. Because even if the threshold to be number one on the WTA tour is a little bit lower right now, I think the threshold to be number 20 is as high as it's ever been. I don't know if Collins is quite at that benchmark, but she certainly has the upside in any given match, the ceiling, to beat a bunch of top 20 players because she has the confidence, she has the weapons. We're entering a surface where should be her best part of the season as well in the summer hardcore. so for her to get this sort of win before that stretch starts. Great for Danielle Collins, makes the most of not playing the Olympics, wins a WTA title back into the top 40 up to number 35. And again, you look for Cam Norrie and Danielle Collins, it was a trend for both of them. These weren't one-off weeks. These were built up over time. They were eventually going to be people who could say, I won a title in my career. It was inevitable. It just happened to happen this week. Shout out to Nori and Collins. Shout out to college tennis. Cam Nori, Daniel Collins, your first time tour level title winners this past week. One of our favorite topics here at Cracked Rackets is talking about the next gen, in particular those ATP players that are so well positioned to be the ones competing for Grand Slam titles, dominating the top of men's tennis, of course. In particular, I'm talking about guys like Daniil Medvedev, like Stefano Tsitsipas, Alex Zverev, Matteo Berrettini, Andre Rublev, and others. But one of the lessons we've learned here in 2021 Do not overlook the next-gen ATP 2.0 generation. In particular, we know the names at the top. Felix Ogier aliassin who has now made the fourth round at three out of four Grand Slams in his career, or a guy like Yannick Sinner, who became the youngest player since Novak Djokovic to reach the final of the Miami Masters earlier this season. Sebastian Corda, of course, one of the breakout stars, made a fourth round at the French Open, has won an ATP title in the last 52 weeks. Multiple challenger titles, of course, comes from a family of greatness as well. But you look at some of the other names down the list. Let's start with With Carlos Alcaraz, the 18-year-old, winning his first ATP title this past week in UMAG, you look for Alcaraz now. He won four challenger titles in five finals over the last 52 weeks. He now can add an ATP title to that list as well. 53-18 and overall. Now, so much of that success has come on clay courts. But you look at the list for Alcaraz by winning those multiple challenger titles at age 17. The list he joined, Nadal, Djokovic, Delpo, Gasquet, FAA, Carlos Alcarez. Those are your six youngest guys in just about every challenger qual- uh, category in terms of youngest first match win, youngest title win, youngest second title win, youngest into the top 100 over the past 20 to 30 years. Alcaraz is in the mix with all of those players who, again, if your floor is Richard Gasquet, you're probably going to have a pretty good career. And it's perhaps notable that Alcaraz beats Gasquet in the Umag final here. And you look for Carlos Alcaraz, that serve, that forehand, his ability to move and find four hands on a clay court it's special Super, super special. It's easy to get excited about him. And again, you know, what's so exciting is it just feels like he's only going to continue to develop physically. You can tell he still kind of looks like a boy, and yet he's able to move his feet so well, get so much pace and the heaviness of that forehand. And then, of course, the variety he plays with on a backhand side, his ability to hit the drop shot. Thinks he, think he swings through that ball a little bit better than we expect as well. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz is the real deal. And again, we need to see him prove it on the side surfaces but is there any reason to think thus far that he's not going to be good on a hard court that you know the slow courts of indian wells or the scene of the u.s open that he's not going to have success i don't think so and so certainly carlos Alvarez a guy to circle as he now inside the top 60 should get into whatever events he wants to play youngest guy inside the top 60 at 18 years old up to number 55 a new career high he wins his first title brandon nakashima a young american who i don't want to say we've forgotten about, but, you know, given the rise of Korda, given Jensen Brooksby's run here in 2021, Nakashima, I don't want to say has fallen out of the picture, but he's kind of in the back seat now, and he shouldn't be. Because he makes his first ATP final this past week, now up to a new career high, is Brandon Nakashima up to number 115 after he finals in Los Cabos, gets wins over Isner, Thompson, uh, a win over Sam Querrey, a win over compatriot JJ Wolf as well. You look for Brandon Nakashima now over these last 52 weeks, 37-24 and overall, but he qualifies for Wimbledon for the first time. He makes a couple of ATP-level quarterfinals, goes over to Europe, plays a full clay court season, a full grass court season because of course if you want to sustain yourself in the top 50 you've got to be able to do it across multiple surfaces that's what nakashima is trying to establish as a player and you have to respect that development path but again Throw him in the mix. I think mean, he's going to be a top 50 guy for a damn long time. So solid on off of both wings. And no, he's not an elite athlete, but athleticism is never going to be a problem. No, he doesn't have elite weapons, but he's never going to beat himself, Competes so well and continues to get better at the little things, whether it's serve location, whether it's power on the serve, whether it's his skills as a volleyer. I think Brandon Nakashima is only going to improve and I think his floor already is a top 100 guy for quite a bit of time. So again, that's another next-gen ATP 2.0 or Yuri Lehechka, the talented 19-year-old from the Czech Republic, wins his first challenger title this past week. He's a guy we talked about on the Mini Break podcast last week. But again, you look at the race right now, the next-gen ATP standings, the race to Milan, top eight guys. The field right now would be Sinner, FAA, Korda, Forgot to talk about Lorenzo Musetti, another absolute stud. You've got Carlos Alcaraz in the mix then, Jensen Brooksby, Juan Manuel Serendolo, who we saw win a title earlier this season on the clay courts. And then, you know, again, talented young lefty, Hugo Gaston, made a final this past week before getting knocked out by Casper Ruud. Ninth would be Nakashima. After that, you have clay court challenger superstar Sebastian Baez. After that, former world junior number one Holger Rune. Those are 10 really, really talented players under the age of 21 right now. So as excited as we are about the next-gen, next-gen ATP 2.0. There's a reason we wrote about it on the website. There's a reason we did a podcast series on it this past offseason. They are guys to watch, and they're not waiting. They're ready to make their moves now. One of the biggest storylines this summer, how will the next-gen ATP 2.0 compete? I, like I imagine many of you, are super excited to see it. How nice was it to have the return of American challengers back in our lives last week? Of course, it is always great to have the best tennis broadcaster in the business, Mike Cation, in our ears. But beyond that, was that perfect nexus and carry of things we love here at Cracked Rackets. You have former and current college tennis stars competing on the Pro Tour. You have next-gen talent looking to solidify themselves on the ATP Tour. You have veterans who are looking to reach. Solidify themselves, regain top 150, 120, top 100 status. All of those things we love to monitor here at Crack Rackets. All in one event, hopefully all of you listeners were able to tune in, but rest assured, if you weren't, we've got the Lexington Challenger this week as well. So many familiar faces, a really fun one for us cracked Rackets nerds here. We've got Liam Draxel, number one player in college tennis in 2021, taking on ascending American talent Jensen Brooksby. That match destined, if I could take the over in any match in terms of just time on court, that match is going to be four hours. It may be like a two and two match, but it's good going to be four hours. I promise you that is a super fun one. But of course, you look at last week's resulting carry first. Shout out to Mitchell Krueger. Wins the second challenger title of his career, first since 2019. He's a guy who has so you know, consistently been ranked in that 175 to 225 range. Well, with this title, he's up to number 175. That should allow him for sure to get into U.S. Open qualifying, but hopefully be on the list in places like Atlanta and you know just the various hard court events we'll see throughout the summer. Just be on the qualifying list or be in the mix there, and then certainly again, given the competition to play these challenger events, given the lack of, their lack of availability, he should be able to get into whatever he wants to play at the challenger level, but. You know, he's the epitome of consistency. And at twenty-seven years old now this season, Kruger, a guy who just physically is in his prime and he's able to make matches so physical. Doesn't matter if it's an hour and a half to four hours on court. He is going to be able to stand the test, was able to do that multiple times this week, dating back. You know, he's down a mini break in the third set breaker of his very first match to Will Blumberg. He goes from that to winning the title A. If you're a Blumberg fan, shows how close Will is. But B, speaks to, again, the skill of Mitchell Kruger and just, you know, his consistency. You also had a big run from a guy in Stefan Kozlov, who 10-year-old me would have bet the house on. Or I guess not 10-year-old me, because at that point you would have been six. But, like... 14-year-old me would bet the house that Stefan Kozlov is going to be the top player in the world someday. He makes his first challenger quarterfinal since Ann Arbor 2020. He also reaches the semifinal of this event. Couple of three-set wins along the way. Great to see him. Healthy, consistent, playing fired up in good tennis, of course. You look elsewhere, good runs from guys like Govananda, the former UCLA standout, recently turned pro. First challenger, quarterfinal, semifinal. First challenger win for him this past week. As well, and it's just again to see those guys compete to see the Sam Riffises, the Kavaseviches, the Chris Eubanks of the world back on home soil, the Christian Harrisons, Jack Sox, Alexi Galarnos. That's what we love here at Crack Rackets, and again, we're going to have the opportunity to see all of them compete again this week. In uh, Lexington, Mitchell Kruger goes from the winner's circle to date with number two seed G- Gennaro Olivieri, who he beat last week on his way to the title, but he's got to play him again. First round here this week in Lexington. You look elsewhere. Your top seed here at this event, as I mentioned, Jensen Brooksby. Taking on Liam Draxel, you've got number two seed here, as I mentioned, Olivieri. Your number three seed going to be Max Cressy. Four seed Pranesh Gunaswaran, who was also a finalist last, uh, or uh, I believe, quarterfinal semifinal. Finals. He and Ramkumar Ramanathan both great weeks in Kerry. And you look, you know, elsewhere. You've got guys like Destanich and again Nanda back in action. Roberto, Sid, Mikhail, Torpregard. Tons of fun. Former college tennis all littered throughout the draw. Should be a really really fun event. One of many on the calendar. But again, our goal here at Crack Rackets to provide all of you with twenty four seven tennis content. Lexington will go a long way in doing that. Livestream.com slash ATP should be a really fun continuation of the American Challenger tour this week in Lexington.